0: Amen. Thank you, Micah, and band. Uh, as our uh, as our kids slide out to transformation station and hear about the greatness of God and the gospel. Let me encourage you to grab your Bibles um, or turn on your Bibles and go with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be we're going to start off today in Luke chapter 7 verse 34. If you've got a Bible that we've provided, that's on page 864. As Tanner's already shared with you, today we're going to be talking about how to do more with your mills. And so um, before we launch into this, I've got a big request, because since we're talking about, about mills today, uh, you're going to have to be laser-focused and disciplined. Otherwise, your mind is going to drift toward what's for lunch today, and you might miss what God has to say to you today. So um, my my one request as we talk about food and about meals is that we just stay laser focused. and, And I ask that God would just give us grace to be able to do that. Well, as we think about our meals, most of us eat, what, roughly three meals a day. I've been trying to get on this rhythm of about five meals a day, but um, that just means I have more opportunity. Um, but let's say you have three meals a day, that's 21 meals a week. And many of these meals can be very frustrating. Follow me with this. Um, anybody relate to this for breakfast? The kids screaming up Mom, Dad, the cereal's gone, there's no more milk. What do we eat for breakfast? A few of you maybe can relate to that. What about this? Anybody just like the rhythm in our family and we've got five kids in the home right now is there's a lot of meals we're preparing for kids' lunches every day. So in order to get out of the house in the morning, they've got to have something to eat. And, And so there's like this constant tension in our home of, no, you can't just pack chips, cookies, and candy for lunch today. Maybe some of you relate to that, putting kids' meals together. What about this? Probably a little more can relate to this. You're at work. No lunch break today. Sitting at the desk, eating, plowing through lunch. You've got that deadline that's hanging over your head, and so you're just fast forward, accomplishing the task at hand. Or maybe this. It's been a long day. You get home. You walk in the door. Hey, honey. What's for dinner tonight? And their silence. (laughs) Meals can be very frustrating. But what I want to propose to you today is that at the same time, they can be incredible opportunities. They can become a context by which God displays his grace and kindness to those. In your life, what if instead of frustration, mills became the opportunity for God's mission to be fulfilled in your life? So here's where we're headed today. And the main point that, that I want you to walk away with is this: God can use the ordinary of your mills for extraordinary displays of his grace. God can use the mundane and the ordinariness of your mills for extraordinary displays of his grace. So here's what we're going to do. In order to gain a right perspective related to mills, we're going to spend some time in the Gospel of Luke. As Tanner's already alluded to, in, in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus over and over and over again having meals with others. So we're going to look at a number of these passages and how, how how Jesus used mills to accomplish the mission that God had for him. And so here's the deal: if you're gonna turn the ordinary of your mills into a context where God can do extraordinary displays of his grace, well then you're gonna have to align your mills after the example of Jesus in three strategic ways. And the first one is this: you must align your Intentionality. Let's go to the text here. In Luke chapter 7, I'm jumping in here into the middle of a passage um, where messengers from John the Baptist have come and said, Hey, is Jesus the one, or should we expect someone else? So there's this long dialogue, and at the very end of this dialogue, in verse 33, Luke says this. It's actually Jesus speaking. He says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he is a demon. And then we have this passage where we're just going to be laser-focused today. It says this, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners this phrase, the Son of Man has come, or the Son of Man came. If you were to do a search in the New Testament, you would come up with basically three verses that use that same language. Many of you probably have memorized them. One of them is found in Mark ten forty-five that says this, for even the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to what? but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A second one is found in Luke 19.10, which says this, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And the third one is this passage right here, which says, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Um, A guy by the name of Tim Chester has written a great book called a meal with Jesus, and he makes a great observation in this book. He says, the first two verses that I mentioned, those are verses describing the purpose. Why did Jesus came? He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. That's purpose. Um, The second one, Jesus came to seek and save the life. um, Seek and save the lost. That's purpose. But this third one, he says, is not necessarily about purpose. It's a statement of method. How did Jesus come? The label that was thrown on Jesus was this He has come eating and drinking. And so they called him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Let's let's break this down a little bit more here. This word glutton, most of you probably get, is, is referring to somebody who would eat too much and a drunkard as somebody who would drink too much. Chester, in his book, I think I've got this quote up here, summarizes this verse and says this, Jesus was seriously into eating and drinking, so much so that his enemies accused him of doing it to excess. Jesus spent his time eating and drinking a lot of his time. He was a party animal. Yes, Chester did say that. Jesus was a party animal. His mission strategy was a long meal stretching into the evening. He did evangelism and discipleship around a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. For Jesus, meals weren't just a mundane and ordinary experience, or occasion to grab a bite to eat. For Jesus, meals were seized upon opportunities to display the radical grace of God. So here's the deal. If if you're going to walk away today and, and what I think is saying, all right, God, speak to me, we've got to align our meals with great intentionality. Here, meals are so frequent that we often don't even think about them. I mean, you probably got up and you ate today and you're going to eat lunch today and you're going to eat supper today and you may throw a few more meals in between there and you're going to do that tomorrow and the next day and the next day. They become just so mundane that we don't even reflect and think about how could I use those and be intentional about those for displaying the grace of God. So why? Let me just answer the question. Why? And we're going to look at a number of other passages related to Jesus and his meals. But let me just give you a few... Why mills are great opportunity for displaying the grace of God. First one, it's pretty simple. Everyone eats. One of the main barriers when I talk with people about whether that's evangelism, whether that's discipleship, when when I hear when I talk and I hear barriers, many that I hear is that man, I just don't have time. I don't have time. Um, Man, I know like we did a sermon a few weeks ago on more with your joy. And like I've got this evangelist networking and I've got neighbors and family and coworkers and classmates and friends. But man, I just don't have time to add evangelism to my schedule. And then to think about, okay, I'm supposed to be equipping others and, and making disciples. Like when do I do that? Here's the deal. You eat and everybody else eats. Which means that you have, every week, 21 built-in opportunities for evangelism and discipleship. All you've got to do is tap the potential. Like, it's there. We often think that evangelism or discipleship means addition. Well, I look at my week, and where am I going to add this? But here's what mills allow you to do. It's not addition, it's intersection. It's not like, I'm telling you, go add mills to your week. You're going to go eat this week. I'm just pleading with you, make your meals missional. Be intentional about how you use your meals. Let me just ask you a question. How intentional? If you were to rank yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being incredibly wicked intentional, and 1 being, man, it hasn't even crossed my mind, how intentional have you been with your meals in the past month? the first step to take a next step is to confront the brutal facts. And my my goal in asking that is not to heap on guilt. I just want you to make an answer, put an answer down, and then I want you to ask this, what would it take this next month to, to move that one to a two? Or to move that six to a seven? A next step. What is the next step that you could take this month to increase intentionality around your meals here's another reason why meals meals connect us with others this isn't really deep here but when you sit down and grab a meal with somebody I man you connect you talk life it's 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 usually non-threatening like you're eating and drinking and stuffing your you know mouth with food and it's a laid back opportunity just to connect with people we all connect over meals a third mills express inclusion let me we're going to hit this a little bit more later on but let me just give you an example uh, in a the saturday before thanksgiving we're going to do something called a Thanksgiving meal giveaway. It's something we've done, I don't know how many years now, four or five years, where we've gone to Medford Housing Authority and we've said, hey, give us a list of of families in need. We want to provide, our church wants to provide a Thanksgiving meal. And so what we're going to be doing over the next month is we're going to be collecting money. Um, In the past, we've brought in over $2,000 you guys have given to go and, and we just buy meals. I think last year we did close to 100. I have to go back and check that out, but close to 100 meals, Thanksgiving meals, a turkey, like, mashed potatoes green beans a pound cake like like we weren't skimping like we're wanting to provide a substantial meal they cook it we provide it um and that's great it is a great serve medford opportunity um but what we do is we meet on a saturday we pack them and and you ought to do this it's gonna be at one o'clock this saturday before thanksgiving we'll do it right out here we'll pack them and then we head over to either willis, Lab, willis ave or la um and, and we go and knock on the door and just say, hey, we're with Redemption Hill Church. I mean, we want to be a church that's no, not what we take from our city, but what we do for our city. And this is just a tangible display of God has been incredibly gracious to us, and we want to give back. We've got a Thanksgiving meal for you, and there's no strings attached. You may never show up at our church on a Sunday. That's completely fine. We just want you to know, man, God loves you. Take this meal. We want to be a blessing. If you ever need us in a, as a church or if we can serve you, we're here. That's great, but what would be even better is if instead of handing them a meal, I said, "You're coming to my house. I've prepared a meal." You guys hear me? Meals express inclusion. That thing—that's great because I'm not. Maybe, hopefully, one day those people can get into our homes. That, that's like a first step for us. But it's, it's not the end goal. We're kind of dropping off the meal. We're saying, enjoy your meal. But when I'm saying, come into my home and sit with me, I'm no longer somebody who's like coming as if I'm, I'm here. Take this. It's, hey, let's sit, and, and we're equals around a table, and we're just caring for one another. It expresses inclusion. And a third reason why meals, meals can create meals create compelling opportunities. Let me get this straight with you guys. Mills are not going to save anyone in our city. Hear me on that. Like, you can't just say, I'm going to do mills. People are saved through hearing and responding to the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. That's what is saving people. But mills create the context for God to do the work. Check out this quote by a guy named Simon Carey Holt. He he summarizes what I'm trying to get at this way. He says this, at base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's Spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes is the ministry of facilitation, providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's Spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is a very ordinary business, but in its ordinariness is its real worth. Could it be that hospitality is the church's greatest tool to reach those in Medford and greater Boston who are far from God? Like, what if that's it? What if collectively saying? you know, we're going to use our homes and mills to really start tapping into that, that network, that evangelistic network. And so I'm going to move from just praying for these people to inviting these people and sitting down and hearing about their brokenness, about what they're facing in life. And just, man, I want to connect. And what if? What if? So... We've got to align our mills with great intentionality. The second way we've got to strategically model the example of Jesus is that we've got to align our guest list. You're sitting here thinking, okay, John, I got it. Mills are great opportunities for evangelism and discipleship, but who should I be having meals with? I want you to go back to Luke, this passage here with me, Luke 7:34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, Jesus wasn't just critiqued for his parting, but for those he was parting with. Chester notes the problem wasn't the party but the guest list. He was spending intimate time with those far from God. He was befriending tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors. Just to give you a brief reminder here. They worked for the Romans. And therefore, they were viewed as traitors not only to the nation of Israel, but to God and His kingdom. Many of them were greedy and amassed great wealth by demanding excessive tax payments. They were viewed as enemies of God. These are the people Jesus is hanging out with. And this is what really ticked the religious leaders of his day off. And if you're curious, this isn't an isolated occasion here. Go read through the Gospel of Luke. Actually, Let's do this. Let's flip back. Go to to Luke chapter 5. Just go back or scroll up if you're using your phone to Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Luke 5, 27. The Word of God says this, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast. There's the mill in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Again, you see it? He's being rebuked. He's being critiqued. Jesus, why are you hanging out with these enemies, these sinners? And Jesus says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love Chester in his book. He's reflecting on this passage and he says this. The Pharisees are asking Jesus to behave like a doctor who avoids sick people. It doesn't make any sense. Such a doctor clearly couldn't do his work if he wasn't around sick people. Thus, Jesus, the Savior, can't do his work unless he's around sinful people. Let me show you another one. Jump ahead 10 chapters. Go to Luke 15. So now flip back to the right here. Luke 15. This is actually a passage we looked at a few weeks ago on how to do more with your joy. Luke 15 verse 1. And maybe a few weeks ago, I think I just kind of skimmed by this, but it's, it's jumping out to me a little bit more today as I've been reflecting on more with your meals. Now the tax collectors and sinners, there we go again. You guys see that? They were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Again, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. But do you know what this chapter is about? You remember what we looked at? More with your joy? Look on down here. He goes and he he gives three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son. And all of them have some type of party environment going on. I mean, look here at um, at verse 6, when the lost sheep is found, it says when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. I don't think he's just picking up the phone and calling them. I think they're gathering and there's a party going on. And it says, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven. There's a party not only going on down here, there's a party going on in heaven. And then you go down to the parable of the lost coin. Same thing. Look at verse 9. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. And then the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes home and you know what the dad does? Look at verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Okay, John, I get your point. Jesus the Savior had to be with sinners. He came not to call the righteous, but the sick to repentance. Let me show you a couple other passages. Go with me to Luke 14. We're, we're drilling down here on this guest list, starting to think about, man, who, who ought to be at our homes, in our homes? Who, Who should we be having meals with? In Luke 14, so we're going back a chapter now, verse 12. And Jesus makes it pretty clear for us here. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, okay, cool. When you're throwing a party, when you're doing some meals, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. this message is clear. Jesus came for everyone. The gospel is for everyone, including the loser, the marginalized, those who've wrecked their lives, ordinary people, you name it. The only people left out of the kingdom of God are the people that don't think they need God. Chester notes this Jesus' party invitation says this come just as you are. Come. Don't clean up. Don't put your act together. I don't want somebody coming and having a meal with me and pretending to be somebody they're not. Come and have a meal with me and let's throw all the junk on the table. That's what Jesus is doing with his invite list. But there was a problem. And I want to, I think our tendency is probably to lean more towards the Pharisees than to Jesus. And this was a big deal here. Because the religious leaders of his day, Chester notes, here's how their invitation read. Get cleaned up. Get changed. Then we'll have a meal together. Go to Luke 11 with me. Let's flip back here. Go to Luke 11. My goal is to cover the whole, whole whole, stinking gospel today. I'm just kidding. You'll be able to eat lunch. Hang in there. Luke 11, verse 37. Luke 11, verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Okay, I got another Mill in Luke. This time it's with a Pharisee. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, "'Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also?' But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. What is it the Pharisees didn't like? The Pharisees had these cleansing rituals to protect them from getting unclean. They had boundaries that hindered them from having such meals with tax collectors and sinners. Check it. Only the rich had time to get cleaned up so that they could have a meal with a Pharisee. Nobody in a slum is going to be able to meet the Pharisees' spiritual cleansing rituals. And you know what? We do the same thing. Don't get defensive here with me. This is between you and God, but I want you to just open up your heart and I want to ask you a question. What boundaries have you erected that would hinder you from having meals with certain people? Who would not be welcome in your home? Are there expectations around you got to dress a certain way if you're going to have a meal with me? You've got to have a certain social or financial status because people are going to see us together and what might they think? You've got to have a certain behavior or literacy or punctuality. Here's the deal. If your life is not shaped by the gospel, neither will your guest list. Chester notes, involvement with people especially the marginalized, must begin with a deep sense of God's grace, but not just God's grace to them, but his grace to me. Hey guys, get this. We're not just saying the gospel's open for all. So we ought to, that means everybody ought to be in our home. Here's the, you've got to pursue Mills with a deep sense that you need Jesus too. I'm not inviting people in my house saying, I've got it together and and you can have meals. I'm another beggar inviting another beggar and we're just saying Jesus is where we find satisfaction. I experienced my deep need of sin and brokenness and I found it with Christ and I'm just doing that with somebody else. And so if you don't get that, your meals will not align with the gospel. Are there certain prejudices? Expectations and attitudes that you need to repent of today. So here's what happens when the ugliness of your heart is exposed, and that's what happens. I Man, we come to this word and it just like dices our heart up, and we're like, "Ouch!" That's right. You know what? I I believe in the gospel, and I know the gospel's for all, but you know what? I'm not sure I want to mill with that person. That's the gospel. That's it, man, God's piercing the heart. When it gets exposed, don't cover it up. Don't hide from it. The good news of the gospel is that this guest list is open to you. And we all need Jesus. And so that's why he came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross. It was for our sin. It's for our prejudices. It's for our self-righteousness. So come and just confess it and find forgiveness with Jesus. Jesus. And then let's repent and follow a better way. How can we do our work of pointing sinners to the Savior if we don't spend time with them? I mean, Redemption Hill Church, we don't want to just be a church that's full of people who got it all together, do we? That's not why I moved to Boston. We want to be a church where people who are far from God know and can taste and experience the grace of God. And it's going to be messy. When you start inviting and opening up your guest list to match up with Jesus's, it gets messy. The meal that was supposed to start at 6 doesn't start till 7. Right? The carpet gets a little dirty. There may be a stench that's left on the couch. What if something spilled on the couch? But this is what our Savior did. Again, he was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That was his label. What's yours? If somebody were to evaluate the guest list of who you spend time with, what would be the label that would be given to you? So who should be on our guest list? I'm just going to use the framework Tanner shared with us a few weeks ago. He said evangelistic networking. Family. Let me just encourage you. Families, meals are important. So like, have meals with your family. I know like just the chaos of life, it's difficult to have a meal. And it's getting busy at our home. But just having a meal together, talk with your family. I mean, what's stunk about school today? I want to know that family, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, friends. These are all people that are already in your life, Align with intentionality. And then second, as you think about evangelism and then think about discipleship, we should be using our meals to reach those who are far from God and encouraging and teaching those to be like Jesus. So, What discipling relationships that you can use your meals for? Is there somebody in your small group that you can do a meal with that would provide encouragement? Is there somebody sitting to your left or right or front and back right now? There's new people in our church every Sunday. How cool would it be if these new people were engaging with others that are saying, hey, let's go grab a meal after lunch. You just met them today? Hey, let's head into the square and grab a meal. What person, just one, is God burdening your heart with right now? What's that one person? Write that name down. Write it down or text it to yourself. Email it to yourself. Write that name down. That's the who. And then the when, real quick. It's pretty simple breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Why not grab coffee or a meal on the way to work? At lunch. Who's that, that classmate, that coworker? Man, I was talking with James the other day. We met on Friday. and he's like, man, I'm a college student. Most of my meals are in the cafeteria. So he's, there's boundless opportunities for intentionality. But you've still got to use that. You can still sit in the cafeteria and grab your meal and sit solo in the midst of 100 people. And now, I'm not saying every 21 of your meals a week. You ought to be... My, my, my goal is not to answer the how many, like how many meals would, would God look at me and be pleasing. That's not, our, that's not where we're at today, right? That's not gospel motivation. It's not how many meals can I do and God still accepts me today. You're accepted. You're not being motivated here to try to please God with your meals as if it's another checkbox. It's these people need Jesus and God wants to see these people. Meet him and meals your great opportunity. Why not we just start praying, God, give me wisdom on how I can use my meals as great opportunities for a display of your grace. And I guarantee you, he'll guide you. And that may, that may change from one degree of life to another. But we just start praying over that. Here's some other wins to consider. What about church occasions? I know many of our groups do meals together. That's great. Go connect with a group and have a meal with a group. In a couple of weeks, we're going to do a ladies' brunch on a Saturday. Connect there over food. Lee and I, in our home, in a couple Sunday nights, we're going to have a coffee and conversation over foster care and adoption. Over a meal, and we're just going to talk foster care and adoption. Like, those are some church occasions. What about this? What about personal occasions? Birthdays, anniversaries are great excuses to go do a meal with somebody. What about sporting occasions? The World Series, a Pats game a Celtics game, and then seasonal occasions. Hey, you know what? Coming up is Thanksgiving. Great opportunity, especially for those who are not from this area, whether it's refugees, immigrants, um, whether it's those, you know, studying abroad and that are here. Open up your home and invite with others. Do it in community. Here's what we're doing. We've done it for a few years. A number of people we've gathered together and said, we're going to throw a party in our house. And we've invited many in our group who don't have anywhere to go. And so it's not just the burden on Lee and I, there's some others in our group saying, hey, we're going to, we're going to jump in and we're going to do it in community together. And so it's a, it's a community meal and we're inviting people from our networks to come and join us. Well, let's go to the last one here. We've got to align our intentionality, we've got to align our guest list and we've got to align our hospitality. How can you display the gospel through your hospitality. I got a few simple tips here. First, shape your actions by the gospel. We should be serving others out of a strong sense of brokenness and need for the gospel. What about this? The way you care for others in your home, does it more reflect that of the Pharisees or that of Jesus? The Pharisees grumbled, were exclusive. Jesus was inclusive and rejoicing and gracious and humble so share, shape your actions by the gospel second keep it simple you may be sitting here thinking with my meals man i don't have the money or the margin to put on this extravagant meal here's the deal true hospitality seeks not to impress others but to serve others Jesus wasn't trying to impress somebody. He was serving them. Chester says this, hospitality only becomes a burden when we're driven to prove ourselves or impress ourselves. Look, find your identity in Jesus. You're not trying to build up your worth by, oh, that was a great meal. That's the best food I've ever eaten. That's not the goal. Find your identity in Jesus. You're not trying to impress others. You're there to serve others. And you know what? Many people might find it more comfortable in just a laid-back environment. Some people actually might enjoy the kind of chaos of a family meal versus a structured, high, fancy meal. It's more laid-back. It's more natural. It's more genuine. So keep it simple. Third, prioritize developing relationships. If you'll be in tension with your your meals and you'll have a passion for people and Jesus, God will do extraordinary things in your life. So it's meals plus people plus Jesus. So focus on developing relationships. Just show a genuine interest in their life. If they're a college student, ask them about college life. What are you majoring in? What challenges? What's your favorite class? What are you hating? If they're single, talk about single life. If they're married, talk about, I mean, what do you love to do? What do you love spending your time? What do you love watching? What do you, what's your latest book you've read? I mean, just show a genuine interest in their life. It's not, okay, they're here. Now let's pull out my three circles and you know, we're like, I'm preaching. No, like develop relationships. This hopefully is not a one-time meal. But hopefully they come back, and it's just the first step to a relationship where you can display and declare the gospel. What about this? So prioritize developing relationships, talk about Jesus in a natural way. How do you do that? Don't shy away from your faith. Be open about it. But you can be open without being overburdening and overwhelming about it. Share the own brokenness in your life. Don't pretend like you've got it together. When they ask how things are going, if it's been a crappy week, tell them. Don't pretend like you've got it together. But then talk about how Jesus has given you strength and wisdom and grace to deal with that stinky week. And then listen for areas of brokenness in their life. A few weeks ago, Tanner shared the three circles with us. The how you can do from God's design to brokenness and gospel. You know what? That's a great way to engage with people because we know everybody experiences brokenness. Be listening for brokenness and look for an opportunity in a natural way to respond and say, you know what? That's not God's original design and it doesn't have to stay that way. Has anybody ever shared with you the good news of Jesus? Man, I've experienced some similar brokenness and here's how Jesus, share your story, how he's transformed my life and then share these stories. And then finally, pray like crazy. Pray like crazy. Follow the leading of the Spirit where the conversation goes and for future opportunities to share about Jesus. As we wrap up today, I want you to wrestle with this. What are the greatest barriers from God transforming your ordinary meals into extraordinary opportunities? For a display of His grace. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, it's too costly. You're right. Meals cost money. Meals cost time. Hospitality takes time. Scheduling, inviting, cooking, cleaning, before and after. Things get dirty or even broken. You know what? And it's also scary. That may be your barrier. Man, it's scary. Why? Because you're going to be on display. They're going to to evaluate my parenting, my decor in my home, my food, and the list continues. Like, like what are they evaluating? You may end up eating in places that you don't feel comfortable with. You You may end up eating food you don't necessarily like. When I went to India with JMac a few years ago, the way we did mission was meals. And we were going from home to home and you're eating things for the sake of the gospel that you didn't like, but it was for Jesus. Or you may say, I'm too busy. As we wrap up and as the band starts leading us here, this whole series on more with your meals. Look, here's the reality. If you're going to be like, you will never do more with your meals, more with your money, more with your joy if you don't crush selfishness. It's an invitation to deny yourself, take up your cross, and come follow Jesus. Yes, it's costly. Yes, it takes time. Yes, it's scary. But Jesus, do you think that hindered him from going to the cross? When he's praying in the garden, God, if there's any other will like way, take this cup from me, but not, never, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. I just want to plead and invite you today to lay your barriers, whatever those are, at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, give me strength and help me to follow your example of a sacrificial life for the sake of the gospel. We're talking about meals being the context where lives are eternally changed. There's going to be a celebration. And one day, you know what? There's going to be an eternal banquet. When Jesus observed the Lord's Supper for that last time, He says, I'm not going to drink of it again until I drink of it in the new kingdom. The message of the gospel is that you can come and eat and drink, and we're going to sit down at a meal with Jesus. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, and everybody's invited. That's what this is about. It's to hand out the invitations and say, this is what Jesus did for you. Come, eat, drink, and be filled. What if your home became the place in your neighborhood where people flocked to for prayer, encouragement, when they lost their job, when there was the miscarriage, you name it, and your home became a place of refuge for the marginalized. Jesus was labeled a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I think we should strive for such a label that people would say of us, John, a friend of sinners. Three meals a day, Seven days a week, 21 meals a week, potential frustration, incredible opportunity. Let's pray. Father, your grace is extravagant. I'm overwhelmed right now just at the thought that you've invited me through Christ to sit at your table to eat and drink that me, your enemy, has now become a friend. God, help us to go and do likewise. God, I battle, we all battle selfishness. This is is my money. These are my mills. This is my home. But God, it's all yours. So have your way. By your grace, work your way in our hearts so that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.